Reason people like to spell my name A N D I and Fiori with an E, which if Fiori with an E is the more popular spelling. I made that mistake with you uh like six months ago. I was looking for you on like one of the like Twitter or something, and I thought it because Fiori has two eyes in it, and so then I put I on Andy. I like my head mixed them up. Yeah, I don't know why people do that. I have like uh, a college agent who last week sent me a uh, a thing. And it was like, Kamina's name, A-N-D-I. And I was like, I'm not a teenage girl. <laughs> that is, that's what the assumption you know? is. My, my oldest kid's name is Indiana, and people always assume it's a girl. Even when I call really? his, even when I call his doctor's office, where he is a patient, his pediatrician's office, they're like, is she six? I'm like, I Haven't feel you like seeing Indiana Jones. <laughs> that's what I said. I said, Indiana Jones, that's a man. That's a man. That's the manliest man of all time. That's totally. a man's name, Indiana, but I don't know why it Call got dog, bastardized. I don't know. Um, anyway, but we, we've started now. For those of you who haven't caught on, my guest on the podcast this week is the very talented and funny Andy Fiore. Andy. Oh, thanks, pal. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. It's long overdue. Long I, it overdue. really is. We talk every week. We're on the same Sirius XM radio show on uh, Larry's Comedy Roundup, but uh, we we never had connected like this. So I'm happy to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. And you're still you're in New York right now. Queens, New York in Astoria, right close to the city. Never left during the whole pandemic. I've been doing some road stuff, but I'm from North New Jersey, so I'm pretty close to home as is. Right. When when you grew up in North New Jersey, then does it just feel like you're kind of a you know secondary New Yorker? Yeah, totally. It, it didn't um, feel like a move when you came over. No, the only move was that I come from the suburbs of North New Jersey, and then this is the as big a city as you can get. So <laughs> that does take some adjusting to. But now it just yeah, it feels like home. Now it's almost reverse. When I go out to the suburbs, I feel weird. Yeah, you know what I mean. It it is a change, you know, when you when you've been around a city and all of a sudden you go. Sometimes when I visit family in the Midwest and uh, like my wife's parents live out, not you know, it's a tiny town and they like live outside of that tiny town. And it's yeah. kind of like you don't see a lot of people. Like they live in a little neighborhood, but I mean, you go one block out and you're just fields. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little strange and a little off-putting. Like you go for a walk late at night and you're like, now all of a sudden you're afraid of like <laughs> wolves and stuff. <laughs> like you go for a walk in New York. I mean, are you afraid at all? Are you uh, ever nervous walking out in New York at night? Not in my neighborhood. I have a, a pretty residential neighborhood. There's a lot of families and stuff here, but there still is crime. It still is New York City. When I first moved here in the early 2000s, I lived in the East Village in Manhattan, which okay. was at the time still coming out of like kind of a grimy neighborhood. A lot of artists lived there and a lot of junkies lived there throughout the 80s and the 90s. Right, right. Uh, like that was Tompkins Square uh, Park was that like famous uh, had that famous scene of the cops literally bulldozing the uh, it was like Needle Park, you know, essentially that was the East Village. So, <laughs> and is know, that was it still Alphabet City at that point? That, that, it is. It, it, it's always been Alphabet City. It's just so the way New York is set up on the east side in that East Village area. Once you hit 
First Avenue, if you keep going east, you just hit Avenue A. And then okay. it goes B, C, D, and then you hit the FDR Drive in the water. You hit the East River. Gotcha. So that section is and always will be Alphabet City. Which, but, uh, but wasn't there a, like a term for each plate, like each section, like yeah. a, a was like, a, a is all right. B okay. is bad. This is like, if you ventured this far east in the eighties and nineties, this sure. is how you would know where to stop. You'd go, A is all right. B is bad. C, you're crazy for going there. And D is death. D, you're just, <laughs> D is just like, that is where you're you will go back. to die. Yeah. Okay. But it didn't feel quite that bad, but it was still needles everywhere. Not needles everywhere. It was still like, look over your shoulder though. Make sure Sure. your surroundings are okay. It's still New York City and you know, there's still crime and it's still going to happen and it'll always happen, but it is a lot safer now. That being said, in the pandemic, things have changed a little bit, you know, uh, with all the protests and everything going on and just, you know, I, I don't know. There's so many reasons why crime has gone up, but that has kind of taken over again. But again, I don't feel unsafe ever you know okay also i'm a six foot four white guy with a big beard and no one really you're you're too big to mess with (laughs) it's not that it's more like girls cross the street when they see me coming you know (laughs) i always have a hoodie on you forget like you're you're such a nice guy uh from what i know about you you know maybe when you go out (laughs) if you don't know me i guess yeah when you just see you you see tall man with a beard sure these are these are potential red flags for a small person or a lady late at night. Yeah, I understand that. I get that. That I had to face that because I consider myself a nice guy. I feel like I look like a normal dude. I'm only six foot tall. I'm not like huge. I'm not intimidating. But one time I my tax this was pre Uber. Uber wasn't popular yet, but I was stuck in a hotel in Lincoln and the taxi didn't show up uh, to take me to the airport. It was like. 4 a.m. or something. Yeah, yeah. Taxi's just not coming. I'm like, dang it. I'm a mile from the airport. So I'm trudging my suitcase. Oh. It, there's snow on the ground. It's freezing, but I'm like, I got to walk this mile. I'm going to miss my flight. Every single car that passed by a couple times, I like put my thumb up like, Hey, you're obvi- there's one road to the airport. It's like goes over this bridge to the Lincoln airport. Are you hitchhiking? I, I was trying. I was like, Hey, <laughs> I'd rather not walk in the cold. Like I'm yeah. nice. Pick me up. And Nobody even slowed down. And then I was like, Nick, you're a grown man, like at four in the morning. (laughs) Like, of course, nobody's going to pick you up. Like, nobody's taking that chance on the way to catch their Delta flight. Dude, I had a pickup from Omaha from the Funny Bone really early at like 4 Uh a.m. And it was a taxi. The hotel called and got a taxi for me. And it was one of those rookie mistakes. But it was so early where... I got in the cab and the guy's like, headed to the airport, huh, man? Where are you going? I go, I live in New York. He goes, oh, what were you here for? And I went, I was working the comedy club. Uh, God damn uh, it. Yeah. Nope. This motherfucker did not <laughs> stop asking me about it for the entire ride to the airport. Yep. And I just wanted to put my headphones on and fall asleep and get to the airport. I mean, this guy talked my fucking ear off, dude. Well, it's such a horror. Like, people here. Oh, stand up comedian. Now they want you to be funny. Now I hate you it. feel like you have to be on. Otherwise they go, man, Ugh. this guy's not going to make it as a comedian. I know. Totally. It's four in the morning. I'm <laughs> half asleep. Uh, no punchlines are coming out of me at this point. And from the Omaha funny bone, if you were staying near there, that's like a half hour ride. It was a good amount airport. of time. 
So that's a long chunk of time to fill at 4 a.m. Oh my to god, a dude. single person audience. <laughs> I know. I felt like I was doing a whole feature set here. 25 <laughs> minutes. Do you have a standard lie now? Do you have something that you just? I don't have a standard. Broad? You don't have a standard. Do. You just I, jump around. Well, you know what? Am I actually? I, that's a lie. I, I say I'm, I actually work for SiriusXM. I'm a programmer. That's an easy one because yeah, it is an easy true. one. But people are still generally inclined about that too, and I'm just like, I got to come up with a better one. Where there's no follow-up questions. You know what right. I mean? I right. I should just, just go back to bartender. The most know? boring job of a, a bartender still too, like, people be like, oh yeah, where are you, where are you 10 right. bar? Maybe I'll stop by. Hook me up with a couple of drinks. I was saying, I, I would say, I would always think of bland ones. And then accountant fucked me one time because somebody was like, Hey man, can I actually ask you this about my taxes? Oh! <laughs> yeah, the, you, the tax question. What would the like most boring like yeah, plain chain great... job be? Just uh, I'm trying to think of you know like, <laughs> hey, garbage man. I feel like I would be stoked to meet a garbage man. I'd have a lot of questions for a garbage man. Yeah, I would have some follow ups for a garbage man. I don't know something really, really maybe like uh, some sort of I even I was gonna say lawyer, but that even you won't want people asking for legal advice. <laughs> uh, I would like that. I'm going to go with lawyer from now on. I'm going to give people just bogus legal advice. We got to come up with something. Yeah, there's got to be a great comedian answer that's not comedian. But, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, lucky my know. Ubers to the airport are like 15 minutes. So <laughs> I can I can sit back there and crack a few jokes for 15 minutes. But right, right, right. Yeah, it always oh. comes up too. It always yeah. comes up. Maybe I'll just say unemployed. <laughs> uh, unemployed. Yeah, times are tough right now. Um, you know, if you hear of anything, let me know. <laughs> you should be Uber driver. Anytime you get an Uber, what do you do? I'm an Uber driver. Yeah, yeah, that could be. I uh, yeah, it's nice living in Queens, next to Laguardia. I have a seven minute drive there. I, I normally get in any sort of cab with my headphones already on. Oh, like, really? I'll do that. How's I'll your do rating? That. Excuse How's me. Your rating? Sorry. Oh, you, do you get a new Uber that way? What's that? Do you get into an Uber that way? I get into everything that way. See, I my fear, I never do that because I don't want to be the guy in the back that's too important to talk to the to the Uber driver. I always Oh, uh, buddy, you're being too nice. And quite I know, I know, but I feel like my Uber rating reflects that. I'm trying to look up my Lyft right yeah. now. Yeah, check out okay, we'll compare right now. Um you you go Lyft most of the time? Well, yeah, only because my Uber has been just not working. Really? I might have to update it or something. Yeah, I just had to agree to something. <laughs> I didn't even read it. I right? just agreed. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see. What's my... Uh... My Uber just... Re- I downloaded the new iOS and everything reset itself. It's a real... Okay. I got my uh, Lyft rating right now. How did now. you do it? Because I'll do that one. Uh, you just click the Lyft and then you go view profile. The like three hash marks up top left. View profile. Lyft. View profile. How you doing? How you doing, headphones? Doesn't say anything. It doesn't? No. It must, ha- must have a zero. Look, mine's 5.0. Five it stars. Is... Oh, wow. Is that the top? That? That's as high as it goes. 38 rides. Where Perfect is mine? Record. Boy, they're not rating you at all. They're like, this guy comes in here with headphones, won't even talk to me. It just says profile and nothing else. Huh. No rides logged? I mean... Hmm. I don't know if you can see it, but I can't no, see none it. Of, but none of my history. And Uber, I'm a 
Oh, buddy, you are see your policy works. Four point nine seven. That, but somebody dinged me, and (laughs) maybe the one guy that dinged me was like, "This guy talked. He asked me where I'm from." You know what? They always come and uh, they always pick me up, and usually they're very quiet. Every now, it's more so guys are quiet in New York than you get a chatter. Right, right. Do you find that they're probably uh, taxi drivers that like made yeah. them move over? That's what yeah, I get a lot, a lot of, of those guys. A lot of guys. And every now do... and then you'd get a cabbie like that too, who one out of ten would be a chatter, but mostly are they just want to you know talk on their own phone calls. Private. That's a big thing in New York City. They talk on their own. They talk to some foreign oh, yeah, country yeah. while they drive you. And, and most foreign languages, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to just be like blanket statement. Most foreign languages to Americans, at least to me, sound like you're angry. <laughs> yeah, totally. Most of them sound, they're a very aggressive, angry language. Uh, very excited. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what, what's going on there? We, my, <laughs> my wife and I were uh, boarding house parents for these musicians that would come from all over the country and all over the world. And uh, we had a couple of like, like a Chinese gal who would talk to her parents in Chinese. (laughs) And it always sounded like she was yelling at her parents. I'm like, yeah, she got at home. What was that about? She's like, Oh, just seeing how they're doing. It's like, what you (laughs) were yelling at new puppies. (laughs) Like if you would have taken that tone with me and I was your parent. Yeah. for real. You knock it off young lady. Did you get that a lot when you were a kid? Did you get don't take that tone? Because I did. I didn't get the tone, but I did go through a rough patch um, where I was very argumentative. Yeah. I, you're, you're a sweet boy. You're too sweet. Did you ever I, get in any real trouble? Not real trouble. Yeah, I could tell. Not real trouble. But, like, I'm sure my parents, I gave them gray hairs, you know. Uh-huh. It it. My dad tried to, you know, at one point I thought he was going to kill me. <laughs> and my mom was <laughs> yeah, like, everybody's thought that about him. their dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know at what point you're not afraid of. Your yeah. Dad. Yeah. I was a big back talker. I was a real sass mouth. Uh, I would get, uh, stop being fresh was a big one for my mom. Your mom you would know? say fresh. Yeah. She could stunk because you're don't from be New Jersey. Um, yeah, I got, uh, my mom threw me out of the house one night because, like, my mom and I argued a lot, she, like wait, screaming matches. She threw you out? Yeah, in high school. She was like, I don't want to look at you. Go in high school. I had to, Where did I you slept go? Over, I slept over at my best friend Steve Brown's house. I was like, I got in a real bad fight with my mom. Is it cool with your parents if I crash your house tonight? And, and they, they have and, cell phones at this point, so there's yeah, no checking in on you. Six. So I had my license, which was fine, so I could drive over there. But, uh, yeah, it felt cool. It was like, ooh, school night sleepover. You know, <laughs> what did his parents say? They didn't really say anything. They were just like, yeah, it's fine. If you know, I, his mom and my mom were friends. So I think my mom was probably just like, I, I can't look at that asshole right now. And she probably fun. called your mom saying he's here. He's fine. I'm sure. You know, yeah, I was also over that house every other day. Anyway, okay. that was like our hangout house. So yeah. this was nothing new that I mean, I was there more than my own home, <laughs> you know, um, I never got, uh, kicked out of the house, but my parents were, my mom, I think was like rebellious, maybe growing yeah. up. Yeah. And so she had that gene in her. Like she knew, like she would know the high school parties before I knew them. <laughs> she would like, I'd come home. She from was school, there. She's like, are you going to Gloystein's this weekend? Oh, weird. But like, she didn't want me to go. She knew that's where the trouble was. Right. But, uh, like she knew about it. And I was like, wait. 
I didn't even know about this. And then the uh, next day at school, I'd hear about it. Like, oh, like, my okay. kid's not popular. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I might have been ignorant. Maybe kids were partying all the time, but I feel like where I grew up, it wasn't, it wasn't really like that. There was really, we I had might... a pretty good party, like classic high school party scenes, you know, Is that like right? what you see in John Hughes films, you know, okay. like somebody's parents would go out of town for a weekend and they'd throw a party. You know, I had to be reminded by some people a couple of years ago that actually a party like that, maybe one of four that I went to in my high school career, uh, was the first place I ever did stand up. And they Come had on. like, they had, and it wasn't my stand up. I was probably a junior in high school and I just <laughs> got on the microphone and I was doing like Chris Rock. I was doing oh, Jerry hilarious. Seinfeld and they were like shouting out, do this one. And I would <laughs> recite like everybody. There was no and, guys like this was me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny if you were doing the N-words versus black people Chris Rock bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think even in high school, I knew that was faux pas for me <laughs> to regurgitate. Somebody's like, this guy's killing with this stuff. I mean, I don't get it, but it's funny. It's real revolutionary stuff for a 16-year-old <laughs> white kid from <laughs> middle Nebraska. <laughs> Why do you keep, he keeps saying, yeah, you're doing all this, all this stuff that doesn't make sense for you as you, you're like, I didn't know Nick was married. He's talking about <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be, I mean, it, I think it was pretty obvious to my parents when I became a stand-up comedian that that's what I was going to do. I mean, I had a shrine that oh, yeah. was like all the pictures of my favorite comedians, and it oh, had on a piece of paper, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. I had that wow. up on my wall. So it, it was probably no surprise, but like even when we go on family trips or if my dad would be driving me and my friends somewhere, I'd have like a comedy CD in the thing making my friend listen to it. Oh, wow. I didn't have a comedy album or anything like that until uh, probably an adult. What happened then? What, what, what steered you over? Well, comedy? I was always a gigantic fan of stand-up comedy. I just never put the two together to go out and buy stand-up albums. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, well, did you have cable growing up? I had cable. I didn't have cable. And I remember early watching Cosby on Cinemax mm -hmm. and – Loved that. And I remember a lot of the early MTV half hour comedy hour. Um, and I was a big SNL fan and a big in living color fan. And right, I right. would, I would do like those bits. I would try and do the characters more than anything. Okay. And I loved it. I loved performing them for, you know, my parents and my aunt. And I just always loved it. It was nothing career driven. I just, enjoyed the art of it and then when i got to college my girlfriend senior year has a uncle who was a comedian still a comedian in philadelphia john kensel and she was like do you want to go see my uncle he's performing downtown tonight and i was like yeah of course i love stand-up and that was the first stand-up comedy show i think i ever was a part of not a okay. part of i mean in the audience for sure like I don't, I never went to stand up club. It wasn't on my radar because I was playing sports as a kid and I was a gigantic music fan. You know okay. what I mean? So like that was my free time. It just wasn't in my aura, uh, that to, to seek out stand up comedy and go see it live. So I was like, yeah, I would love to go see stand up. I'm actually, that's not a hundred percent true. I did go see Lewis Black when he performed on my campus. So okay. that was probably be the first time I saw 
a comedian. Him and Adam Ferrara were probably the first two comedians I saw live All as right. an audience member on Villanova's campus. And then we went to see my girlfriend Julie's uncle. And afterwards, some of the other guys, I wish I could remember their names. Um, I was talking to them because we were, you know, hanging out with Julie's uncle and backstage. And I was doing right, that thing right. where I was like, I've always loved comedy, man. I, I always wanted to, to try stand up. And one of them literally just went, come down to the open mics in downtown Philly. We, there's every Wednesday. We're just all there down. every Wednesday. And that was all it took. I went and watched. Uh, the open mics on Wednesdays at the comedy cabaret in Northeast Philly. Uh huh. I went like three times before I signed I did the up. same thing. I did the yeah. same thing. You just sit yeah, yeah. in the back and you just observe. Yeah. But it helped that I knew those guys and saw familiar faces and they were like, why don't you go up tonight, man? And I'd be like, I don't have any jokes. They'd be like, well, you got to do it eventually. Right. And then eventually it was like two minute sets, you know, and, um, that was it. That was it. That was 2000. It was October of 2001. October 2001. Uh, literally a month after 9-11 that I went, the world needs my comedy. <laughs> I'll bring, I'll write this shit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yeah, so I'm going to fix everything. Uh, so. what, when, was that pre-Gilbert Gottfried? Gilbert Gottfried is like credited with bringing laughter back. It was right after. It was okay. right after whatever that roast was. What was it? It was a, it was some roast and, and everybody was like, can we I laugh? I want to say Hugh Hefner. Maybe that sounds right. Yeah. And he did, he did, he, uh, the, he did what, the, uh, the famous uh, the, joke. Uh, the aristocrats. The aristocrats. Yeah. Okay. Which, yeah, is this big, long, elaborate joke that just turns into like a dirty, dirty punchline. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you, people forget about it, he, Gilbert's bombing so hard before he pulls out the aristocrats. Jeff Ross had a hilarious line before that. He goes, Gilbert, please stop. There's been enough bombing on the East Coast recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And how was that received? I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Did people laugh yeah, that at that over. one or did it? I think that also kind of broke the ice because people were ready to laugh, but unsure if it was okay to in that time. But, uh, yeah, so that was essentially how I got into it. And then I had gaps where I stopped when I, uh, graduated college and did a bunch of other stuff, but I've had a lot of gaps this year. Almost it's 20 years coming up on 20 years since I got on stage. Oh yeah. This October, you got anything planned for your big 20 year? I don't. I, I didn't actually. That didn't actually dawn on me until I said it out loud right now. We gotta figure something out for you. <laughs> it's definitely October of '01. Would be my would be my actual 20 year. I don't count it as doing as being my 20 year anniversary because, like I said, there was gaps in between. For yeah, like you were in two years. I didn't that. get on stage. Yeah. You know. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, so, I'm wondering if we can even count this year, this last year, 2020. This last year, I did 93 spots. I write down all my <gasps> spots now. I, I have always written down all my spots, but I didn't calculate how many I did. I was pretty busy January, February, and the first week of March. And yeah. Then, and then, and I, oh, it sucks so bad because I finally got into some clubs that I had been trying, sure. like Comedy Works in Denver and stuff. Yeah. And they finally club. had me come there and headline. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm getting some traction here. And I was feeling good. And I was about to record a new album. I know. Same and here. just... What do you, what, what what do we do now? Like what I mean, ninety three so, spots is a gang. But here's the thing that happened in New York City to your listeners who might not know about it. Um, the scene in New York is always very spot heavy, where it's like do as many a night as you can. That's the way to do it, which is a great way in a way that I love and a way that right. I was raised on. But it's like I feel guilty if I don't do a spot in a night. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. So. What happened was some clubs, I'll give credit to Stand Up New York, 
decided to just take shows into Central Park and parks around the city. And they weren't ideal, but a lot of them were great. A lot of them, people came out and sat in a circle on the lawn and you got to do a set. Yeah. And it kept me sane, man. And it kept me writing and it kept, it kept my, my reps up, you know, so I didn't get rusty. And I really credit that over the summer to Is be a Amy saving Hawthorne? grace for me personally. No, that Amy Hawthorne works for New York Comedy Club. New so York Comedy Club, not stand up New York. Dang it. Yeah. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Amy. So here's what happens. Then the other clubs kind of have that domino effect where New York Comedy Club found a penthouse with a roof that's outdoor access yeah, yeah. that they're still kind of doing. And so this became a thing to do for people in New York City. They go, hey, did you hear about these pop-up stand-up shows? And then, you know, stand-ups, all the independent people find these other rooftops. And mm-hmm. now this place called the Tiny Cupboard in Brooklyn has this really great show. So now you're kind of feeling, all right, this obviously isn't the best, but I'm doing three, four spots a week again, and it feels normal for me. And, I mean, during the late summer and fall, like, I was cooking. I was, you know, doing some road, depending on the state where they'd have you. And then I was coming back to the city, and during the week and the weekends, able to go do spots again. The Comedy Cellar, once indoor dining kind of opened up, they did dining with comedians, you know, where – they built basically a penalty box of plexiglass inside the upper area of the cellar at the Olive Branch Cafe. And right. you could go, okay. you know, I would just text the manager and go, hey, put me on the list for tonight. It was essentially almost like an open mic for the cellar comedians. So yeah, I was feeling really good. And then the winter hit and everything and the indoor dining closed again. And I'm back to square one. So for me, I'm just hoping that once once the weather gets warmer again, the outdoor shows happen and everything picks up again because I texted my friend Julie last night out of nowhere. I was, it's a Monday. I was feeling blue. I just go, I really miss stand up right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got sad. I was just like, cause I had a set outdoor in Brooklyn last week and it went great and it felt so good. It was one of those sets where you're like, this is why I fucking love it. And then I was just like, ah, now I have nothing for the foreseeable future. And that's a depressing thought, man. It is. It is. And my depression comes out sometimes as anger, which is not good in oh, a yeah. small space with a wife well, and three kids. Children. I don't hit them hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I am sometimes I'm short with, with yeah, yeah. any of them. And Sarah will be like, Hey, I know you're frustrated <laughs> with how things are going right now sure. that you can't get sure. on stage. Don't take it out on us. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good note. <laughs> good parenting <laughs> note. Um, yeah, I have not performed in Los Angeles since March. Wow. That's crazy. Like, uh, that's um, really crazy. Yeah. That's the other thing about New York. Just you have the ability to kind of do that. I know Stan New York tried to do it in LA. It's so strange that Irvine improv is the only one that, and the comedy store did it for a minute, but then they got closed down. Uh, they weren't allowed to yeah. do it in their parking lot anymore, which was a good pivot like they've got a big parking lot back there and you can fit 50 60 people um i'm kind of surprised that the comedy magic club didn't do it they've got this whole rooftop parking they could have been up there but they're also surrounded by a neighborhood so i wonder if there was some noise ordinance yeah things um but downtown la i've done a show on a rooftop in downtown la why not just all of those have like a little area with the pool and stuff like i know they should be happening here but for whatever reason they're not 
There's some backyard Stan- shows. That's about it. Yeah. Dan Soder told me that he goes, this is a funny line. And I, and I, it's so funny. He goes, I'm thinking about doing this thing where, um, talking about like being a comedian now during COVID, it's like being a homosexual in the fifties where you have to go to rooftops and alleys and, and, <laughs> and like, all these secret places to hang out with people like you. And your parents like, are disappointed so funny, in you. Dude. Yep. <laughs> Like that's what reduced to these secret shows where you can't really let the police know about it. I was like, Oh, that's a fucking hilarious premise. Yeah. Yeah. It's like straight out of the green book when he gets caught in the YMCA or whatever. Totally. Totally. Exactly what we're all doing. Have you had any of them get (laughs) raided? Have any of them been like shut down mid show? Uh, No, but I did this show last week, uh, at these, these two girls run it, Laura Sogar and Rachel Lander. And it's a great venue called Arrogant Swine. It's this outdoor. Yeah, yeah. It's a little tented. It, it looks great. You know, obviously my standards are super low now, but I'm like, this is beautiful. <laughs> but the crowd was great. And I went on like second or third. And so I took off. I didn't stay until the end. And then I got like a message from the group text was like, hey, gang, sorry about the abrupt end. You know, the cops came and I was like, oh, shit, what happened? So I guess, you know, there's still... Sh- Strictly enforcing 10 p.m. here in New York City for closing. 10 p.m. You're supposed yeah. to be indoors. You're not supposed to be. No, you just can't have venues open. That's when venues have to close. You don't have to be indoors. But what's you the can't point of be. that? What? What? I mean, COVID doesn't know time. exactly. What's the, <laughs> there's no. Why? Yeah, there's. It's a stupid, silly thing. I. Uh, I really even. It makes. I don't know. They fucked this whole thing up. I hate De Blasio and. Cuomo and all these regulations that don't make sense for one venue, but this other venue is allowed. It, like they, it's just not cohesive at all. Right, right. You know? and it, yeah, there was a big uprising in Los Angeles, and I think even some places open up now, like in Orange County. I think some places open up and say it's a protest, and they just say we're protesting. Oh, that's genius. And I think they like even say we're protesting the shutdown. That's what we're protesting. Right. Oh, great. And so they're like New York tried to do tried to become like a religious uh like they had <laughs> religious sanctity or something like that and I, it was like the church of stand-up new york and i think that got shut down somehow but they did find some sort of loophole okay <laughs> yeah, there, are, there are things like that where i the, if the cops came they would say come on guys like yes that's a loophole but come on but yeah. then there are laws where a police officer would come in and try and stop you from doing something where you should look at the police officer and go come on well, and at least in New York City, I think why they're taking it so seriously is because the fines are like crazy expensive. You know what yeah. I mean? It like, like it's not worth it for the venues to put up a fight because it's like ten grand minimum or something. So it's like already these already venues already on their lifelines, you know, can't afford any sort of fines like that. That's really I think why most places don't, you know, put more of a stink up. It's because it's like, dude, we can barely afford to pay our employees or, you know. Yeah. keep a staff and so i'm just hoping with the vaccine now coming out and the weather getting warmer i i have i'm a very optimistic person i have high hopes for the spring you know what i mean okay, i'm just good. like let's just get through february march we'll start to get warmer out at least on the east coast you know and then we'll more and more time goes by the more and more vaccines get yes. rolled out yeah, yeah, and yeah. so i i just well the numbers are going down as of right now, the numbers are like in half of what they Jeez. were two weeks ago in the U.S. So 
hopefully we're on the right trajectory. Yeah. I just, I'm not asking for much. Just give me a little, let me hang out later than 10 PM. I feel like a sophomore in high school. You know? Yes. We got to get back. And then there are these doomsdayers. Like you see these articles that come across that are like, well, there's a new strain and the vaccine's probably <laughs> yeah. not going to defeat it. I saw one today in the New York times is like, why the vaccine will not beat the pandemic. I'm like, don't tell me that dude. Don't do it. And I'm not clicking on it anymore. I'm, I'm not, not clicking on your articles. Anytime it immediately your article... makes me sad. And then I go, ah, and then I get stressed and oh, yes, the worst. Yes, we have to have positivity. And at a certain point, like, and I'm reaching that point. I was pretty good last year, but I'm kind of reaching the yeah, like, just yeah. screw it point where I'm like, no, I know I, I'm going to live like this. If this is gonna, I'm going to go here. out. I'm going to be around people like at a certain point. I just what I did. I went over my my friend's house last week. He's like, you guys want to come over? We'll watch a hockey game. I was like, yeah, I'm fuck it. I'm coming over to a private residence with two of my friends. And we're going to drink some beers and watch some hockey. Good for you. That was like the best night I had in in a really long time. (laughs) And those two guys are dead. But I made it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One of them didn't make it. (laughs) Somehow that's sadder. Just I we asked for so little. Just please, I want to. I don't know. Well, you're such a big like you're such a big music fan, and we hardly ever talk about it on the Thursday show. Like like music. There was some band I saw that they were doing it, and everybody was in a bubble. Did you see that picture or that video? Oh yeah, I think the Flaming Lips or something. Flaming Lips. Yeah, that's exactly who it was. And I don't know what their popular songs are. I don't know. I don't know things. They're pretty indie. Um, Okay. I'd heard of them though. You've heard probably heard lips. their early 2000s stuff got pretty popular. The That's radio. not Sex is on Fire. I'm just putting Flame. No, with flame. that is Kings of Leon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Anyway, but, they, yeah, everybody was in the audience was in their own little uh, blow yeah. up bubble. So, well, that's that's been, fun for a minute. That's kind of cool. Um, I got by on a lot of webcasts. Some of my favorite bands started playing stuff from their archives, which was cool. Stuff I'd never seen footage from yeah, before. Yeah, Jimmy World was just going to do that. Jimmy World, that's I would love to see that. Uh, Fish does like uh, they have a song called Dinner in a Movie. So they started this Dinner in a Movie every Tuesday night. We're going to show you an old show that we have from our archives, which is super cool. Uh, the Dead was doing an old archival release every Friday night. So it's like I was looking forward to that every Friday. I was like, I'm gonna get a six pack. I'm gonna watch a Dead show and just hang out. Um, then one of my favorite bands, like the Hold Steady, um, normally does the weekend after Thanksgiving at Brooklyn Bowl. It's a, it's a tradition every year. It's one of my favorite weekends of the year. And of course this year can't do it, but they said, screw it. We're going to play there with no audience and webcast th- Friday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We're going to play three shows like we normally would. Yeah. And if you guys want to, it was like five bucks. And they really did it. I went, I got together with, you know, my buddy who I usually go with. We got drunk and watched a concert in his living room and it was fun, but you're just like, I'm, I miss this so much. Yeah. I'm thankful for this, but it, it's that twofold feeling where you're like, this is really fun, but it really makes me miss it more. Right. Right. So somebody that loves music, do you play a musical instrument? <clears throat> I play the guitar and I've been playing for a long time, but I'm not very good at it <laughs> i can you're probably I can decent up. i can play songs and stuff but i don't practice okay. um like if you if we got together and jammed i could keep up if you told me the chord progression i could follow you but um i can't like shred solos or anything like that so, so uh it's just more like i noodle around but um i'm more of an appreciator than a 
than a player by far. Stand-up comedian, lover of music. Did you grow up in a creative, like, artsy household? Not so, not like in the traditional artsy sense. My dad was a really old guy. Um, and so <laughs> he was, he's you know, like, he's, he was 55 when he had me. And, oh yeah. I, I knew know, this. Yeah. Yeah. So 63 when he had my kid sister. So by the time, you know, I'm 10, he's what? already in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, why? What, what? Did I don't do? know. I, he was, but like, he was super young at heart and very physically fit and able. No kids like, before you? No. You don't have any older brothers swimming around out there? Half sister from my mom's side, you know? Okay. But you have a dad... very weirdly aged fam. My mom got knocked up when she was like 19 by some guy who took off. Okay. So my, my older sister is like 55. But, and so people go, oh, well, that makes sense because your dad's older is probably from a previous marriage. I go, no, 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 no. <laughs> my mom got knocked up when she was 19. <laughs> Has nothing to do with my dad. So my dad didn't get married to my mom until he was 49. He was 49. How old was she? Was, huh? My mom is 22 years younger than my dad. Holy so smokes. My mom is currently 74. My dad passed away this year in June. It was night. He was 96. Right, right. Uh, when he died. But, you know, pretty, pretty good up until like sad, 95. But, sad, but 96 is, uh, that's a, yeah, ride. hard to really get too mad at that one. You know, we were right. like, why was he suddenly taken from us? You know, <laughs> um, the writing was kind of on the wall for a few months there. You know, sure. well, he's 96 and he's breaking down eventually. Right. But, um, because up until then, he was a fucking miracle of modern science. You know, I Just mean, I, we were going strong. We were skiing on like, and he was in his 90s when he hit the slopes, you know. He skied at 90? Yeah, he – I remember me and my sister <laughs> uh didn't even realize it. My dad was the one who realized it. He goes, never thought I'd be skiing at 91. We were like, holy shit, you are 91. Because we never thought of him like that. Because right, he was right. just that kind of guy. So we were like, holy crap. It is – it's just going to sound weird to say, but people that aren't me and my siblings are more amazed at that than we are. Because we knew him. We were like, yeah, that just makes sense because that's who he was. You don't think it's you know possible I mean? that he, like, skipped skipped a couple, like, accidentally misadded his birthday one year. And no, then he's I, just, no, I was born in <laughs> I was born I, in I, I, had, I had to go through all the documents for, like, funeral stuff. Oh, okay. He all was right, born that... in 1923, dude. Because <laughs> you, you feel like back in the day when they, you know, like. I know, they it, did. He comes from Italian immigrants, too. They might have. Fudge some of the numbers, right? Right, that like but Elian no, I, Gonzalez I his, or whatever, the twenty-three-year-old pitcher that was in the <laughs> little <laughs> leagues or whatever. Uh, he's a World War II veteran. Um, I had to find his discharge papers for the uh, military funeral, so uh, I saw oh. all the numbers and everything. It's crazy to look at. Wow, World War II. Do you talk about it? He would. He didn't have like you know any sort of traumatic. Uh, really he he was i think on a nicer part of world war ii like he okay. was a he was a he started going to college in rpi to engineering school in the east coast and then went to world war ii for three years went back to college but they go oh you're an engineer you're an engineering major uh why don't you go to the army engineering corps so he was stationed in burma you know myanmar right um Oh, Myanmar. Uh, <laughs> and they did a lot of like uh, civil stuff. Like they were, they built bridges, dug ditches and did a lot of that stuff. So he saw a little bit of action, but it wasn't like crazy from what he told me. So 
he, I don't think he was, uh, you know, he didn't storm Normandy or anything or, you know, okay. or, you know, like that. So, but he um, might have designed he was those, lucky like, in that way. waterway bridges that were out Absolutely. there. That's in what the they water did. Where they could... That's what they did. Yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah. So there was a point I was trying to make eventually. <laughs> we got off on my dad tangent. Well, I was, but, I was um, questioning that he was 91 in skiing. Oh. <laughs> I was just wondering if that was, you know, cause you feel like back in the day, especially, it was so much easier to fudge anything. Like, I don't know why anybody applying for a job in the seventies, oh, yeah. why they didn't all graduate from Harvard. I know. Don't you think about that stuff? You're like, Oh, the, the shit I could have pulled. I feel like you could still I'm get away now. with a lot of that today. I feel like nobody yeah. cares about what's on your resume anymore. I, I could probably put Harvard and unless somebody went to Harvard and was able to question grill me enough to where I couldn't answer. Don't do it, I'd, man. Didn't we, didn't you learn from the saying from our fake jobs? People are going to ask follow ups. <laughs> They're going to figure it out. Yeah. They go with, you're going to, the one person you tell that to is going to go, me too. What dorm did you live in? And then you're going to have to go, uh, Sullivan. I don't <laughs> know this job. Sullivan. That's a decent, maybe. I pulled my dorm from sophomore year of college. <laughs> I, I don't think I would have guessed. I think I would have said something like, I lived off campus. I, I lied to a girl one time. This is why I know this happens is because I was in a bar in New York City. <laughs> And I lied to a girl. I said Harvard just to fuck with, just to see what that felt like. And right, she went, right. Oh, my brother goes to Harvard. I went, God damn it. I gotta go. So you just left. You didn't even try and no, like, I double down. The question. How did I avoid? I don't know how I got out of that one, but, um, I don't know. Just be like, oh, I lived off campus that year. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. I, I just went there for a semester. Yeah. <laughs> I wear a Harvard hat. This is a Harvard hat. I was going to ask you if that's a Harvard hat. My college roommate then went to uh, graduate school at Harvard and I had oh, a show nice. in, um, I had a show in Boston. And so I went a couple days early and hung out with him and I attended a couple classes. So sometimes I jokingly say I attended Harvard. Did you actually go to classes with yeah, him? Yeah. Yeah. I went to a couple of his, uh, graduate business classes. What were they like? You know what? It makes perfect sense to me why the, you know, financial world is so screwed up and why they screw everyone over because their frame of mind and how they're taught is so different than how I think it should be. You know, I, in my opinion, I'm kind of, I, I don't agree with everything Bernie Sanders says, but should there be like hundred billionaires? Probably not, right? He should right. probably pay his underlings a little bit more, sure. you know, spread the wealth out a little bit, but you can see how this mindset is created because the two examples I can come up with that I saw when I sat there was they were trying to justify. Yeah, uh, no, some... I didn't know I was going to get my own Harvard lecture. Here it is. Here it is. I want to <laughs> tell you because I found it very interesting as to how they thought and how okay. different. No, it I am looks. interested. Um, so they were trying to justify whether or not, uh, like this CEO of this big bank should have been paid his $120 million bonus. Right. And, and they just looked at it from a financial standpoint. They're like the year before he came, their profits were, you know, 6.2 billion. And then the year after he showed up and took the job, their profits were 10.3 billion. So yeah. that's almost a $4 billion increase. Of course, we'd pay someone $120 million to make us three, $4 billion sure, extra. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a drop in the hat for them. When you look at it like that, you're like, that makes sense. But that's not really how you should see it, in my right. opinion. Like, how many jobs did he have to cut to screw over people to yeah. get to that point? You know, exactly. Chris Rock had that joke, like, minimum wage is like, if I could pay you less, I would. 
but there's a law. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if there was no minimum wage, people would be like, make, I forget what two examples he gave. He's like, would you get paid this week, Bob? Uh, you know, a, a toenail clip or whatever he said. Right. Well, <laughs> the be, toenail yeah, clipper. because someone will always do it for a lesser amount. You know well, what I absolutely. mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why so many comedy clubs have crap comedians because they're like, I don't <laughs> yeah, want to pay oh, the amount to get the professional. I got a local guy that'll do it for a fraction. Yeah. yeah. And, and people go to comedy shows. They say comedy sucks. Really, I know. Like, it does. It dilutes the whole thing, too, because it really makes, you know, as a good comedian, makes you really question your self-worth where you're going, am I like I do this a lot. I just go, am I asking for too much? Am I gonna, are they gonna think I'm not worth it? And right. that like, that has to be doing something mentally in yes. the long run. You know, yeah, like yeah. Constantly being like, am I worth this much? Well, and, and beyond Saying that, it out loud really makes me laugh. But. Beyond that, that's not even what your job is supposed to be. I know, I know. That's it's, the hard part to swallow is your job is to be funny and now you're having to be this business side. Yes, totally. I agree. With, and then all of a sudden you start to like put your art into this monetary category, which it should never be. I I recently sure. listened to the book about Bill Watterson. You, do you know yeah, Calvin, yeah, Calvin and Hobbes? My, so, what it's, my background, I'm a gigantic Calvin and Hobbes. You can't see it on my phone, but my Calvin and Hobbes background, I, it's, I credit Bill Watterson and Calvin and Hobbes for making me care about reading when i was in fourth grade yes and all of a sudden you're reading these giant words yeah yeah it, i knew it was above me because it's super smart and they do use words i didn't understand but i felt like i don't know i felt cool reading it and just knowing that um i could understand the humor that probably shaped a lot of my sarcasm too yes but, uh yeah. yeah so i love bill watterson the dude was a genius, but he's also a severe recluse. Like, yeah, yeah. He, he did the, he did the Calvin Hobbes strip for 10 years and then he like fell off the map and he wanted no. to. Didn't franchise anything, could have made millions. There are no like licensed toys. Like any t-shirts you see are yep. not, you know, not supposed to be there. The like any, any bumper Calvin's sticker of Calvin peeing on Ford or Chevy or whatever. <laughs> not authorized. Not authorized. He didn't want, and, and I always wondered, I was like, why would you not? like want your beloved character that you created to be other places. And then I listened to this book, uh, looking for Calvin and Hobbes, which is by a guy named Nevin Martell. I just listened mm -hmm. to it on tape and you know, it, it put several quotes from him, from Bill Watterson talk, like, you know, getting in fights with his publisher and getting in fights with like people that were writing articles on him where he said, no, cause the second it goes out there, I don't control it. And now it's not the cartoon, you know, in love now yeah. it's, now it's this whole other thing that I don't want. I don't want that to be out there. And and you mm -hmm. kind of say, okay, mm -hmm. I kind of get it. And he was also like, and I have enough. Yeah, like you could be making millions. He Steven Spielberg called him because he wanted to make a movie oh, in the nineties, and and his agent goes, hey, Steven Spielberg's trying to get a hold of you. And he goes, why would I want to talk to Steven Spielberg? <laughs> and then that was it. And and Stephen even the called call, at least. Right, I'd say, hey, Steve, enjoy your movies. Yeah, yeah I, no, I don't want to make one. All you right, could politely turn him down and still talk to Steven Spielberg. I feel know? like that would have been the polite thing to do, but he's just yeah. like, no, I have no reason to do that. Like, and I guess George Lucas asked as well, and he's just like, no, I don't, I don't want anything. Yeah, I appreciate that because you know you don't ever want to see something beloved like that get ruined. What? And not that they would, but can you imagine a movie? I can't. 
will kind of like I have one example of what I a live action count would hope that it would have been like, but then you add in the tiger and it's this whole wrinkle because we saw what happened with Garfield. Garfield looked terrible. I never saw it, but yeah, it was like that animated cat that just looked bug eyed and weird. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Dennis the Menace, the movie I actually really like. It's a good movie. Like uh, who is it? The one with Walter Lloyd, Matthau. And... Walter Matthau, Christopher Lloyd. Yep. Uh, it's good. It's his it's mom's a good movie. name. I enjoyed that movie, but then you add the animated portion. Like, if you could have done something like that, that'd have been great. But animated adds a whole wrinkle. But yeah, you're exactly right on the head. You don't want to see something you love get destroyed, like Indiana Jones Four. <laughs> right. Now there's like a black mark. I didn't hate it that as much as everybody else did. You didn't hate it. People were always going, "What are aliens doing in the Indiana Jones universe?" I go, "There's always been supernatural weird shit in Indiana Jones." This what is are you true. Complaining about it now. This is true. I guess my beef with it was that oh, this is going to get real. Okay. <laughs> Fast forward the next three minutes. If you don't care about Indiana Jones kingdom of the crystal skull, but there was the guy that was never yeah, introduced just... in any other movies. Like why not bring back Sala? Instead, they brought that one guy who's a good actor, but uh, his like friend who's the double agent with him. Um, oh, I only saw it the once and I, so oh so you've only okay well i saw in the theater i was stoked and then there's this guy and he kept calling him jonesy and i'm like we nobody called him jonesy right like mindy like don't give him a new nickname indiana jones is cool as hell like don't do that and and i really just was not a shia labeouf fan i i have enjoyed things that shia has been in but i just at that point i felt like he was a turd as a human being yeah. And then he's in this movie that I wanted to love. And I was like looking at his face and he's in these sun. I'm like, mm, not a fan. So anyway, that's an example that of something was. that got bastardized that I love. Do you have an example? Yeah, no, you're right. Anything that got screwed up from your childhood? Uh, I'm sure. Uh... Can you back up the argument for Bill not making a movie with Steven? Because this is um... in the 90s. This is the height of Spielberg. Like he it's wasn't making to... bad movies back then. Yeah, I mean, I still give Spielberg the benefit of the doubt, but you always hear those nightmare stories about like uh oh yeah, so and so was signed on, which is why it got the green light, and then they dropped out, and then like that Gotti movie, you know, like what? all of a sudden oh four directors later, E from um uh, what's the uh, Entourage is directing it, and you're like, "What is that real?" The yeah, that Gotti movie with John Travolta is a piece of shit. Uh, whatever that dude, <laughs> Kevin something, whatever his name is, ended Kevin, up directing it. Yeah, that's funny. Um, and I don't, you know, why I don't have an immediate answer for things that got diluted from my childhood is because, you know, we're around the same age. Mm-hmm. My childhood stuff was made really well. Do you know what I mean? Like okay, I grew up point. primarily in the eighties and nineties, which are amazing decades for movies. You know what I mean? Right. So like John Hughes, which you mentioned before, those movies were perfect to grow up on and they were great. And then the nineties is a really underrated decade for movies. And uh, maybe it's not underrated, but I mean, there was a lot of brilliant stuff being made. So I was such a big movie guy too. Um, that I don't know if any of it got diluted. Obviously, like you have Michael Bay and stuff like that come along and just action movies go insane and get crazy. But right. 
I mean, so yeah, maybe Transformers is an answer. It's like I loved that as a kid, and then those movies came along, and we're just like, that brings what back the hell Shia is this? LaBeouf. Yeah, there's the it's I didn't this guy. Mind the first one, but then they I didn't spiraled either. out of control. Um, you mentioned uh, John what did I Hughes. Love? I don't know, man. I, I I loved hockey when I was a kid, and I loved. Uh, yeah, I don't really have a good answer for that. Nothing's popping into my head that's like really got ruined for me. Uh, my wife and I just recently rewatched uh, Uncle Buck, which me was too. John Hughes. I just watched it recently as well. Did you notice the little frame when he when uh, Kevin McAllister, what Macaulay Culkin looks through yeah. the mail slot because he's waiting? Yeah, or something, yeah, I know it. And it opens the mail slot, and you just see three strange men there. Yeah. It's like uh, like one frame of yeah, three strange men. It's his imagination. That frame sprung the idea in John Hughes to make Home Alone. Oh, really? Yep. He's like, yeah. What if this kid was Home Alone and three robbers wow. or robbers came and he just sat down and cranked out the script for Home Alone? Oh, I love that. Right? Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I uh, I also heard Uncle Buck was supposed to be a continuation of trains, planes, and automobiles as oh, really? that character like that, but they decided not to do it. Like that characters, see that. Uh, other story would have been the yeah, uncle Buck's story would have been what, um, what I forget his name in planes, trains, which came first, I believe planes, trains, planes, trains. Okay. And then Uncle Buck came. Yeah, his character in Uncle Buck was similar, but like crazy. You can see, you can see how that, yeah, it's almost there. Right, right. Oh, John Candy. That, that know, guy was gone too how, soon. He only died at 44 and I'm like, I'm 41. Shit. 44? <laughs> yeah, but he was a portly gentleman. He was a big fella. <laughs> he was not know. small, but oh, didn't he seem like the nicest guy? Yeah, yeah. I think his kid does stand up. I think his daughter oh, really? does stand up. I believe so. That might, that sounds familiar actually. Her last name is Candy. I, I'll have to look it up and like plug it in right here. I'm never going <laughs> to do that. I'm never going to do that. No, never. There's no count up for, okay. I don't even know how long we've been talking. 50 <laughs> minutes. I'll write it down, but we'll see. Elizabeth Candy. I don't know what her name is. It's my sister's Candy. name. Elizabeth? Yeah. The, the one that's older than you? Younger one. The younger one. How old's the mm-hmm. older one now? If she just turned 56. Oh, you said 56. So your mom was 22 years younger than your dad. 56 or 57. Yeah. And what, uh, how did that happen? Oh, that's where we were going. That's, did I grow up in an artsy musical household? Right, right. We got sidetracked. <laughs> so I'll get, yeah. So my dad was a, a barbershop singer. He sung with a chorus. Is basically okay. him and his buddies got together and he, Sung in a barbershop quartet as yep. well. Okay. So, so that's how he pulled up. a girl 22 years younger uh, yeah. than him. <laughs> that's literally how they met. He was directing a chorus of Christmas singers one year in the 70s, early 70s. And my mom was one of the singers. Goodbye, my Yankee doodle sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all the stuff. That was his favorite Simpsons episode. Oh, um, was, in junior high, I was in a barbershop quartet. Really? Oh, dude, he would have loved you. What part did you sing? The cummerbund. Uh, I was probably, I was not the, I don't know what you call it in men's terms. I was not baritone. the highest, but I was the second highest. That's, I think, baritone. Is that baritone? That sounds yeah. a little manly for what I was that doing. Was, that was my dad, baritone. Okay. Alto. 
Uh, there's bass. Yeah. Baritone. Bass was like and the, double bass? The, what do you got? You got four <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did grow up in a, uh, very, my dad was always singing, always singing, always playing piano. Uh-huh. And so that might have done it. And my dad really appreciated music. He didn't care what genre it was. If it was good, he liked it, which I always thought was super cool because I would play him like a, a Jerry Garcia ballad, you know, Jerry pouring out his, his emotions and a beautiful guitar solo. Uh-huh. And he could appreciate the, the beauty in that. Really? And I'd also play him like a, you know, like a, uh, a harder kind of maybe indie rock song, but if it had like that emotion and something you could feel, he'd go, I get it. I understand. And that, that did wonders for me musically. That made me really appreciate a lot of different stuff. Do you use music to inspire you to, do you like it to make you sad? Do you just like pump up music? What, what's your favorite feeling (laughs) to get from music? Um, I love probably the energy that I get with something. Yeah. I don't use it for inspiration much. Okay. I like to have it on in the background almost, you know, most times when I'm doing stuff around the house. I like to have it on when I eat dinner and stuff like that. I like to have it always be there. I'm a big playlist guy. I like collecting stuff. But my favorite, yeah, is the, that joy you get out of like really live shows and that unity of a yeah. whole audience feeling something at the same time that the band made. I love that the most. You would think. You would think that because there's none of that right now, that 2021 should just have a slew of great albums. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, hopefully they're all at work. <laughs> right? Uh, I can't wait, man. If, 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 if we have this huge gap, like uh, you could say the same thing, I suppose, about comedians, but comedians need the reps to work on material. Exactly. Like, yeah. Isn't that weird that a musician can write a song and it can be great without I guess they run it past a couple people. Like you get yeah, I guess I was just and... going to say, it's because you're in a band. You have other people giving you feedback right there immediately. Yeah. Like if I brought you a song and was like, hey, let's play this. Here's your part. And then we rehearse it. You'd go, all right, but what about this change? Like I can't That's do true. that at home, you know, and just I, I actually do write bits out loud. Like if I'm at home, I'll say something out loud around my apartment. Really? You know what I mean? Because I'll say something differently in the mm-hmm. moment. And then I'll go and write that down. And then that's generally how I start a bit. And then I'll bring it to the stage. And, you know, then it forms from there. But I used to write every single word out in the entire bit. Mm-hmm. Pause for pause. You know, comma <laughs> for comma. I used to write everything down. And now I do just bring an idea and I go, I'll work this out. I, yeah. I know how to do it now where I can work it out. It is weird how you have to beat. say it out loud. I do. You I really know do. what it is. That's also I, a memorization thing for me, but I do have to say it out loud like that. I do. I mean, it's I used good. to. When I lived in the East Village, I lived across in this corner apartment, but it was uh, there was a courtyard between us, mm-hmm. and so the apartment building was shaped like a U. And I swear to God, Nick, I used to use my like remote control as a fake microphone. You know what I mean? And I Inside swear to your God, apartment. across the hall in the U would see me just walking around talking into my remote and be like, <laughs> that lunatic's at it again. We don't know what he's doing over there. Right. But call right. Bellevue. <laughs> I bet it did look bizarre. <laughs> Does he know that those aren't voice activated? Or And you just felt better having like, this is my mic hand. I'm going to talk into it like this. Yeah, it was just a muscle memory kind of thing. 
You know, now I, I literally use this microphone I have and I'll still do that. It, I know it sounds childish, but it's like, that's how I kind of write. I, I talk into a microphone that's not plugged into anything around my apartment. I live alone, so it's not an issue. Right. But I'll, I'll get an idea down. It's usually, I don't know how you write the bits that I usually end up being keepers and not throwaways are bits immediately for me. Oh, like sure. I'll get an idea and I'll find the punchline so quick. I have to start talking it out or I'll lose it. Yep. But those are almost always my best bits. They come so quickly, not as a fully formed idea because I'm always, you know, finding tags and stuff like that. But the, the bulk, like the punch of the first punchline yeah. is, is always super quick for me. Well, there's and nothing that's why fake and manufactured to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just what you thought was funny. Gut reaction. Here it is. Yep. 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 Here, here's the problem I have with that sometimes is if a joke comes to me too quickly, I don't trust it because I'm like, did I hear this? Did I hear this somewhere? And so oh, okay. I'll ha- I have a couple buddies where I will call them and say, yeah. what, what is this? Have you, <laughs> does somebody do this? And, sure. Because if it comes like right out, I'm like, it was in there somewhere. Did this uh-huh. just come from me or was that? Yeah. I. You know what I've been doing lately, which I guess helps with that, is just really maybe it's a – symptom of the global pandemic is that it's been my most personal time writing meaning i've written more about me and my experiences more than like a story or more than like an irreverent joke you know um like all my new stuff i have a bunch of new stuff that i'm really excited to just do more is because it's stuff that not necessarily happened to me during the quarantine but it's like um I don't want to do bits on the show, but like the, uh, I got a new tattoo during the quarantine and basically the punch is that when she was bandaging my shoulder, she was like, now we don't want you to have sex for 24 hours. Uh, technically like that's an open wound. I was like, yeah, it's not an issue. And her response, she goes, no, yeah, I know. We just got to say that to everybody. I know. We just got to say, I know. What the fuck is that? Now you want to have sex. I know, like, like you just took one look at me or like, I just got to say this for legal reasons. You know I mean? <laughs> no, we, we understand. But, but then it's like, that's a funny idea. And I remember walking out of there and writing that down immediately. And then I got home and started toying with the idea. And then it's like, you know, I have a whole thing about how, I, you know, it's on my shoulder. I'm not like really hockey checking, you know, pussies when I have sex. Like I'm not using this. So it's like that kind of stuff is just, you know, for lack of more experiences that I haven't had being at home, I have to really write on what little I've lived in this last year and change, you know? So I think that that's been kind of a cool thing to come out of this. It's expanded my way of writing to where I'm looking for humor and stuff that I probably wouldn't have thought given a second thought of before, you know? Sure. Yeah. Cause you have so little to mine. Yeah. Because we're just not out doing things. Yep. Totally. Uh, You weren't at Six Flags the other day and this happened. Exactly. But hopefully that sticks around and I can still find that stuff because that is really a great way for a comedian to think. Even in the slightest mundane stuff, can you find humor in, you know? Do you get any like therapeutic release from joking about things on stage? Is there any of that or is it just find where the laugh is and that brings me happiness? Yeah, you... that's that's it for me is I love the the reaction. That's sure. my 
that's where I get the most joy. Like a killer set brings me, you know, I'm floating after that. Right. It, yeah. I don't find, I'm not one of those comics where it's like stand up is my therapy. You know what I mean? I, I still enjoy just doing it and getting the reaction. I love that more than it's, it's, I don't have to work out my issues as okay. a comedian. You know what I mean? I like making people laugh. You know, do you, do you ever sit down and try and like write a joke? Cause I've done this before and it usually doesn't pan out where I like, I come up with something funny, but then I say, is there a, you know, is there a bigger point that I can make with this? Do you try to uh, impact people's thinking at all? Or you just want the laugh? I go for the laugh first, but I sure. don't necessarily that's a, think that's a bad way to think because if you can, why not? Um, <laughs> I don't find myself being that bigger point comedian too often. Right, right. It's just not my style. Uh, so I don't find that often happening. I've, I think every comedian gets to a point where they think about, should I be writing bits like this? But then I always go back to stop trying to be something you're not. Just be the comedian that you sure. are. And, you know, it's very easy in this industry to compare yourself to other people in comics and so easy that's a bad way in any industry i think social media has done that to everybody and i just have gotten so much advice over the years where comparing is always going to be is really never going to do you any good no matter like why didn't i get this and so and so did it's like well you're going to get it when you're going to get it and it's not going to help you mentally to stew over something that you didn't get when it's just not your time so in that same way i'm not trying to write stuff that is not me so bigger point stuff has never been my thing you know i'm not one of those social commentary comics that you know i think are a little we're a little inundated with these days where it's like i understand that you are trying to get a message across but for me i want to be funny first so yes it's gotten a little diluted for me sometimes where it's like it's a little maybe 60-40, 60-40, 60 in the social commentary, 40 in the humor, where it's like, why don't we swap? Let's let's get more back to like (laughs) 70 humor, 30 social commentary, if I'm being honest. Right, right, right. Do you ever have inklings to bring your guitar on stage? Has that ever happened? I did that once at an open mic. It's never come back with me. There's a lower standard for music comedy. It's, it's again, it's not me. It's not, it's just something I don't like. And I yeah. know I have friends who are very funny people, but I just go, what are you bringing your guitar up there for? Get the fuck. Come <laughs> on, dude. <laughs> well, you're, you're filling the silence with something other than silence. I guess so. No, but, well, what me. I'm saying again. is those guys just don't, I feel like guitar comedians maybe don't hear the bombs as hard as we would hear. Yeah, it. Maybe. Like they, they're you concentrating on the script. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it, you, I mean, we both know people, I'm sure, that go on stage. Yeah. They eat it hard, not yeah. funny, and they get off stage thinking they crushed. Yeah, it's that or there's always an excuse of why they didn't crush. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, so many times you go, man, they are fucking just awful out there tonight. And you go... They were fine for me. <laughs> you know what, I mean? what does that tell you? <laughs> Have you ever told somebody that they weren't good? No, man, I'm not. I can't be that mean to people right? face to face. But I you can't. want to a little bit. Yeah, I've I've gotten to cl- I've gotten close to boiling points before where it's just like, 
I'd rather walk out of the green room or just like go and not have any sort of, I'm not a very confrontatious, confrontational right, kind of person. Right. Are there confrontatious? Confront, we're making up that words. That might not now. be a word. <laughs> <laughs> are we, uh, are, are there any comedians in New York that would say that to someone? They would say, you suck. Oh, of course. Like there's, give it up. But yeah, I mean, New York? Are you kidding me, dude? There's like, there's, uh, yeah, every fourth comic is an abrasive asshole where it's <laughs> like, you don't have to be that that stereotypical mold of of you know honesty is the best policy all the time you can right. let something slide you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean i never want to crush somebody's dreams i never want to be that you know because there have been times where i sucked and had somebody told me dude you suck well, i might have crumbled there's a difference between I, I trust me i love ball breaking as much as the next person sure and there's there's a way to handle it and to be ball breaking like that comedy seller table is still pr- a pretty rough spot when Keith Robinson's there and Jim Norton's there. And some of the older guys are there. They will right. not let shit fly. You know what I mean? And that's a loving type of way to break somebody's balls and be honest. I mean, they will tell you face to face, but you, they have, they do it in such a way where you go, I can't help but laugh at myself for this. You know what I mean? But also, well, because you're, you're friends you're, with them, though. Because exactly. you're friends with them first. I right. don't know those guys. Like I know no, that's a great them, point. But I don't. If one of the, if like I got my seller shot, right? I come to New York. That's and an I, excellent point. I get a shot, and then I walk up those stairs, and those guys look at me and go, "Frickin' suck." I'd be like, "Oh man, I will." I can't take it from a stranger. Yeah, well put. It's it is a that it is a it is a ball breaking of familiarity. You know where it's like. You know, Keith Robbins will just sit there and go, yeah, that joke stinks. I can't, you're a terrible comedian when you go, yeah, I know I'm not. And you're just being Keith. You yeah, know? yeah. I, I will but, say, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll you're correct, right. No, it's this. different with strangers. I couldn't take it from a stranger who's a peer totally. that I respect. 100%. I can take it from a stranger after a show who says I suck. I'm like, well, I don't think I suck. Oh, yeah, yeah. I sure. I, I don't give a fuck what you think. <laughs> but, but somebody, you know, that I respect, I, that would be hard for me to swallow. Did yeah. You ha- did you have any horrible, horrible experiences that you were like, this almost tanked me like early like on? Like made me want to quit? No. Yeah. You know why? Is because I romanticize stand up comedy a lot. Yeah. And so I always write those off as this is a part of the entire um, story of my being a comedian, you know? Right, right. So, like I said, I'm an optimistic person and. I've had brutal gigs as we all have had, mm-hmm. but sometimes I'll just go, just get out of here. This will be a great story later. You know sure, what I mean? Yeah. There's always potential. That's the way you got to think of those things. I mean, I've been lucky. Like I've never really gotten like stiffed on money. If anything, I've had brutal crowds and brutal shows where it's like, listen, you got paid. You're going to have a story. Just you get it in your car after this and you get to go home. You know, yeah. um, I've been lucky in that way. So I never had any gigs that made me want to quit. Um, in the beginning, that's obviously a lot easier to think like that because you're just taking whatever. You know, I, I did kind of quit in a way because I reached a point in my stand-up quote-unquote career early on where I didn't know how to take the next step. Right. Like I was doing – Open mics and bringer shows in New York. And I, this is the early 2000s, let's say like 2004, 2005, where 
what we have now in the bar scene and the self-produced shows and the mm-hmm. independent shows outside of the clubs is a real blossoming community for young comedians. That wasn't there when I was a young comedian. I didn't right, have right. that sort of stage time opportunities. So after doing like bringer club, you know, bringers at like Gotham once every couple months, I, I didn't know how to get stage time. It sounds ignorant to me now, but I didn't know how to network. I didn't know how to go out every night and meet other comics and then build that way. I just didn't put it together until Andy Pitts kind of years later in like 2008 was like, hey, man, there's this bar show in your neighborhood. I'm going down there. Come down with me. And then he was like, I'm going to another bar show after this. And if you, and I was like, ah, I really want to get back into stand-up. He was like, come to me to the show. They'll I'll vouch for you and they'll put you on a show in the future. And that got my ball rolling for me again. That okay. was really what did it. So um, I never had anything that made me want to tank. I just got to a point where I was like, I don't know how to do stand-up comedy anymore because there's only so many stages and they won't take me unless I bring 10 people. It's the other side. And of I've asked the same huh? 10 people way too often already. Yeah. Yeah. You get in those ruts. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, uh, I, uh... I want to like wrap it up here a little bit, but I wanted to ask you. I can talk I, comedy all day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I have a question I normally ask people, but we haven't really discussed uh, like religion at all. Are you religious or spiritual at all? No, I'm not. What do you consider yourself? Well, I was raised, born into Catholic. I got the whole baptism confirmation thing. Uh-huh. I went to Catholic school my entire life. Sure. Even co- Yeah. My college, it didn't have any thing to do with why I went there, but Villanova turned into be a Catholic university anyway. So I literally went from K through 16 (laughs) in the Catholic, like I went to Catholic high school and like, also that just worked out. I went to this high school to play hockey. I had the best hockey program. It was a day school, but it was Catholic and then Villanova was Catholic. So it just worked out that I went to a grade school, high school and a college that was Catholic. And that probably Made me turn 180 to it more than sure. anything else. You like, didn't like is, that structure? This is a hoax, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? You feel um, like it, it is a hoax? You feel like they're duping it? Yeah, I think so in the end. Probably it's it's a really it's a more of a money-making thing than anything else. I don't okay. care for that whole way the Catholic Church treated children either. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it really kind of skated on that one. Yeah. But in terms of being a spiritual person, I just don't think I really am. It's just, you know what it is when people try and say, aren't you this? Aren't you that? I go, no, I just don't think about it. It's just not a part of my life. When people just go, don't you ignorance have any relationship with, just... with God? I go, in a way that, I guess agnostic would be the most go. I, I like to think there's a possibility that, sure, maybe something's out there. I, I don't have the ego to be like, I know there's not. You right, know what right. I mean? But I just don't think about it. It's just not a part of my life. And I just don't need something like that in my life. So gotcha. I just don't care about it. I, I know it sounds simple, but I just don't care about religion. You know what I mean? You can do whatever you want, but I, it's just not for me. All right. So then here's the final question. So All let's right, say there is something out there and yeah. whatever that is comes to you tonight. Yeah. This is Andy. You've had I'm a good run. The world is ending in 30 days. Not just for you, for everybody. Like, oh, that's it. I'm wiping it up. It's gone. Yeah. Do you change anything about the way you live for those last 30 days? Oh, what a great, heavy question. I don't know if I would change anything about the way I live, 
I would probably do some things in excess a little more. Right. If I had that information, I mean, I don't know if – I guess that would be the change. If I would, you know, I probably wouldn't behave as, as good as I do. <laughs> oh, you'd go, you'd go off the rails like, I'm taking this Snickers. I wouldn't – no, no, no. I don't think I would hurt anybody. I know I wouldn't hurt anybody or have a negative impact on anybody. I wouldn't, like, steal or rob because I think I would just try and have the most fun as I could sure. before the 30 days was up. I'm Probably not going to be able to, like, have a child. Yeah, I mean, well, no, I, like, I don't want to get sick and be, like, down for the count for three weeks of the, <laughs> yeah. of the last month. In the last three, and you're just like, yeah, I got COVID. And the, like, I have a sniffle for the end of the world. I would do Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, there'd probably be some hangovers in there for sure, you know. Would you tell anybody? I think you'd have to, right? Who would you tell? You'd probably have to. T- <laughs> the better question is, who wouldn't you tell? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Would that be a, your opener on your next rooftop yeah. show? Like, the world is done in 27 days. I'm not joking. Yeah. But please stay for my set. Um, There has to be some sort of way that you could confirm it, you know, because if you go around t- talking like that, people go, well, he's lost it. Sure. You know this what I is, mean? Let's, let's pretend that this is – you absolutely 100% believe it. Like, this guy was in your room, like, shaking you. Yeah. You could touch him, and he, like – Whatever it had to do to prove to you, like you did some magic trick, and you're like, "Well, that means it." There's too many That's... people. There's not a short answer for this. There's too I many people just... that you would tell. Yeah, of course, because you'd want them to be able to do whatever they wanted. Okay, our... break it to me. Tell me, tell me, like oh, I'm buddy. your mom. Tell me, <laughs> you... tell me the world's ending. Um, Andy, how are you? You look thin. <laughs> are you eating? You're that. Yeah, that's clearly already made up. <laughs> um i uh i would go mom do you know how like you are really religious and believe it this already sounds insane you know sure let's hear it um you go <laughs> i would i had an event happen to me last night and i don't know why or how it happened i can't explain it but i know now for a fact that on january at the end of February, we're no longer going to exist. What do you mean we? Like the entire world, the entire population. Every, okay. like the all-knowing. Andrew, Every... are you on drugs again? Yeah, exactly. See? <laughs> There's no way you can have this conversation without you ending up in a fucking mental institution. But you would still attempt to tell people? Knowing that that is a potential? <sighs> maybe. Wouldn't you? I, I, maybe that, I think that Catholic guilt would make me feel so badly if I didn't tell anybody because sure. that's a hell of a secret to keep, you know, that's a lot of, it's the easier way. It's the easier option to just go, I'm just going to do whatever I want, knowing that there's going to be no repercussions after 30 days. You know right. what I mean? It's a really insane question because so much could happen. And also wouldn't there still always be that, sliver of doubt this is probably why sure. i'm not religious that i go well that guy whoever came to me might have been something in my head i don't know how's the he could have been fucking with me right that could have been a bad piece of tuna or something exactly my brain. i don't know if i'd go uh, that's why i think this probably happens to people and they end up in mental institutions don't you think <laughs> that somewhere along the line of history a guy went to his mom and went don't ask me how i know this but somebody confirmed to me that the world is ending in 30 days and, uh, like, 
you know, the Mayans thought that that was a thing. And every time you hear something, it's like, yeah, 2012. You wake up the next day and you go, well, sun rose. <laughs> wrong. And so, like, are you going to believe some like, well, Terry was wrong. You know, why would you believe that? That's insane to believe anything like that, that somebody would have that knowledge. Right. So I would always be doubting it. Would you still do stand-up in those last 30 days? Yeah, I think so, if I could. Would you go to bed on the final day? No, no way, dude. Stay up, listen yeah, to the, of course. the Fish album? <laughs> That's a great song. That's a great question. The song you go out to? Ooh. Ooh. Final one that you're song? ever going to hear. And, the, and they're like, by the way, where ah, you're going, geez, there's that's no way music. Too heavy for me there's to no music. With, you only hear the final song. Oh, my God. As the lights go out, the last song? That's an insane question that I can't answer on the spot. But you, that's but, like, but you would want the song to end right as the lights went out, right? Yeah, it would, it would fade down, you know? Right. Oh, God. It's getting me giddy, giving me goosebumps just thinking about it like that. Because I've thought about, like, my funeral songs. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like songs you want to play it at your funeral. But if you knew you were dying, the song you would want to, the last, it's like, that's also kind of, you're like, I don't want to hear my wife's voice. Or, <laughs> like, I'd rather hear Trey Anastasio from, from Fish. <laughs> i can hear that i can hear that <laughs> all right andy well thank you so much uh everybody you, that's listening find andy fiore he's hilarious find him on all social media uh at andy fiore a-n-d-y-f-i-o-r-i and why not if you're on the east coast he, he's doing shows there fairly regularly hopefully more sure. here in the spring yeah man just you know i'll let you know when they happen so don't Follow me there, and we'll see you hopefully sooner than later. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Andy. Thanks Thank you, us. bud.